Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Hope Elam. Hey, let's give God praise for our awesome worship team one more time. So thankful. Amazing grace. Everybody say grace. 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 God's grace never gets old. There's a reason that hymns like that never get old because we never need to stop receiving that grace. It's not okay grace. It's not mediocre grace. It's not here you just need a little boost grace. It is amazing grace. Amen. And what makes grace, what makes grace amazing is when we realize what we have been rescued from. It is amazing grace. We understand the gravity of who we were before Jesus, what his grace offers to us this morning. We never graduate from that. And I don't know about you, but the day that I, that I feel like I need to stop being reminded of that is the day that I have forgotten who I am, is the day that I have lost my way. We never graduate from grace. Amen? We need it. Nobody knows that better than the, the author of that song. Some of you know this, some of you may not know this, but that song was penned by John Newton in 1779, just a couple years after the founding of our nation, essentially. And if anybody understands those words, these aren't hypothetical words that Newton wrote. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Some of you are like, whoa, that's kind of harsh. Newton was deeply invested in the slave trade. His hands all over it. These aren't hypothetical words. This isn't a cute little hymn. This isn't a warm, fuzzy kind of thing. This is Newton understanding the gravity of his sin. Therefore, how amazing God's grace is. Amen? This is is understanding that wherever you're at today, whatever you walked in here with, no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, God's grace, if it's available for him, it's available for you. It's available for every single one of us. We need that. Amen? Newton knew we have a condition. Every single one of us has a condition. What's your condition today? What kind of condition are you in walking in here? Now, normally when you hear that, what's your condition? You're like, there's not something wrong with me. Some of you hear that and it's, that, that question is filled with a lot of fear and anxiety because it's related to a sickness or an illness or something physical that's going on with you or a loved one. You, you have those feelings of anxiety of like, what's your condition of going into the doctor and finding out something you don't want to find out? For some of you, you've been fighting a battle for a long time. There is a condition that ails you today. And for some of you, it might be physical. And Jesus wants to offer healing today to you. Maybe not in your time, in your way, but that is available. We have all sorts of conditions. It might be physical, but maybe your condition today is emotional. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's spiritual in your relationship with God. When you walk in to see the doctor, they say, what's your condition or what's wrong? Or another way of saying that is the doctor asks you, tell me where it hurts. Where does it hurt today? 
What's your condition? What are you up against today? For some of you, it is physical. For some of you, it's more relational. There's tension between you and the the kids or between you and a loved one or a family member. There's no perfect family out there. Maybe it's relational. Maybe your marriage is struggling and you're wondering, I I don't know, we're just going through the motions. (laughs) Kids are going off to college and I'm worried, is there anything left between us? We're going to be empty nesters. Where's our marriage at? Is that the the condition that you came in with? Maybe it's emotional. Maybe this is a a highly emotional time of year. I don't know about any of you, but in the Annenson house, it is. There's a lot of emotions. It's back to school time. Maybe you're sending your kid off to college for the first time. Whatever that condition is, it could be full of a lot of fear and anxiety, a lot of emotions and how to handle that. And you're navigating all that and you feel the weight of that today. Maybe you feel a profound sense of loneliness today. Isn't it interesting that we are surrounded by people, that we are more connected as a society than we've ever been, and yet we're more lonely than we've ever been? Some of you feel that sense today, and you are here this morning and you're asking, does anybody see me? Not physically, but see me. We long to be known. Maybe it's emotional for you today. Maybe your condition today is a spiritual condition. You're like, it's not any of those other things. I just feel so far away from God. There is a distance between me and and God today. I feel so disconnected. Our relationship, it's, it's dry. It's empty. There's nothing growing there. There's no fruit there. I just feel this disconnect. I, I don't feel that amazing grace today. Well, the good news is today is that Jesus is no stranger to conditions. And if we would be honest, which is a good thing to do in church, by the way, that Jesus meets us right where we are. And some of you are sitting there this morning and say, geez, John, way to bring the mood down this morning. Like, I'm good. Everything's great. If that's you, God bless you, okay? But every single one of us has a condition. Every single one of us came walking in here this morning, and our life is not perfect. There are things that are conditions that we're struggling with, that we're wrestling with. And if you're like, no, I'm all good, I got nothing going on, I just got a word from the Lord for you, denial ain't just a river, okay? Just sit on that this morning, all right? God says that if we come before him, not as we should be, but just as we are, that he can meet us right there, just as he did countless times throughout the Gospels. In John chapter 5, there's this story that just kind of launched us into the word today where Jesus encounters a man that is lame. In John chapter 5, in verse 2, we read, Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. And so people would gather there, crowds of sick people. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed lay on porches. I don't need to remind you that Hope Elam is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And sometimes... Sometimes coming to church is coming and laying on the porch and hoping Jesus passes by. We need that. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? What kind of a person asks somebody that's been lame from birth, would you like to get well? Like, is this sarcastic Jesus or what's going on, right? Come on, Jesus. A God that is appealing to desire. Going after your heart this morning. And he asks you the exact same question, whatever condition you find yourself in. Do you want to get well? 
Jesus is not going to kick down the door to your heart. He's not going to barge his way into your life. He's offering you a hand as the great physician this morning. And whatever condition that you are in, he's asking you, do you want to get well? Because just like the man in this story, Jesus knows your story and he knows your name. He knows all the facades and all the masks that you love to put on and the way that we sip our church coffee and somebody asks you, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. No, you're not fine. And I'm not fine. And that's okay because it's okay to not be okay at this church. Amen? And that's where we're at today. Jesus meets us right in the middle of our condition and says, do you want to get well? But the reality is, is that every single one of us has a condition that's far deeper than even what a doctor or a therapist or a counselor can meet. And that not shoving those aside, those are incredibly important, but we're in a deeper mess than that. And for that, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and follow along. We're one of those weird churches that like bring your Bible to church. I know, it's really weird, but we would encourage you to do that and follow along. Ephesians chapter 2. We are continuing a sermon series today called God's Electric Power Company. And beyond being kind of a cute title, it is actually an acronym for where we are. G-E-P-C, Galatians, Ephesians, say it along with me, Philippians, Colossians. I got some Bible readers in the house today. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's a nice way of remembering these four books we're going through that Paul wrote to some of these churches that he planted as well. And if there was one central theme or question that ties all of them together, it's this. As you read throughout these epistles is, where does the power come from to live the life that we long for? Where does the power come from to overcome the condition that we find ourselves in. Last week, Pastor Brian focused on the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and today I want to focus on the power of God's grace. Everybody say grace. Grace, Grace, but first, our condition. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is what Paul says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, When you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. God bless you, everybody. That's the end of the sermon. Go I'm just Thank God it doesn't end there, right? But sometimes in order to understand the good news, we've got to understand the bad news, right? We've got to understand what we're up against. That is quite the condition. And by the way, if you're tempted right now to kind of read that and go, okay, I see where this is going. Jesus is our Savior. We need amazing grace. I'm just going to kind of tune out. I'm going to check out. I would caution you in that. Sometimes I think the danger is we develop a very narrow view of salvation. And yes, there is that defining moment where every single one of us have to decide, am I going to put my faith in Jesus or am I put my faith in myself and my ability to overcome this condition called sin and death? But the reality is, I don't know about you, but I never need to stop hearing the good news of the gospel. Yes, I have been saved, but I need to be saved from myself every single day. Amen? I need to hear the gospel every single day. There is no, there is no room in Christianity for been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. I've heard that before. I've heard that good news. We don't graduate from the gospel. There's no cap and gowns out there today. None of us are beyond, oh, I'm beyond that. None of us are beyond that. We need to always hear it again and again and again. The other trap that I think we fall into when we say this is like, geez, Pastor John, like, just ease up a little bit. Like, come on, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. 
I mean, I'm not terrible. Like if there was a, you know, a kind of a uh, measuring stick on all the good and bad people, I'm not like, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like way down. I'm not that bad. I mean, I'm, I'm a good, decent person. I'm from Iowa. We're nice, right? And here's the word. Yes, we're nice. We're a bunch of nice people that are desperate for a savior. Amen? That's the word on us. So we don't want to fall into that ditch either. We are a mess. And sometimes when you're in the middle of a mess, you don't realize just how much of a mess you're in. You don't realize how, how the, the gravity of your condition. We are a mess. That reminds me of family vacations. I don't know if you've gone on a vacation this summer, but that, this is the season of family vacations for us in the Anderson household. And a couple summers ago, I can talk about it now because the, the trauma's worn off uh, a little bit. <laughs> of this, but we decided, I told Tiffany, I said, we're going to go to Colorado. And she said, great, I have a new idea. The kids are a little older now. Let's try something we've never done before. She said, we're going to stay in a yurt. And I go, what's a yurt? And she said, well, you'll find out. So apparently a yurt is that, except that's like the luxury yurt. That was not our yurt. Apparently it's fun to drive to the middle of, we drove, you know, 13 hours to 12, 13,000 feet. Apparently it's fun to drive into the middle of nowhere and stay in a glorified tent that does not have heat, by the way. And so we get there and it's like, oh, this is kind of cool and everything. And the kids are like, where's the bathroom? And we kind of look up and we go way up there on top of the hill because apparently, oh, I don't know, there's some bears probably lions and tigers too around this area for all our kids knew, right? And so you can't go to the bathroom down here. You can't store your food down here. You have to lock that up. You have to go way up this hill to use the bathroom, even if it's in the middle of the night. So we're like, okay, we can kind of handle that. And the, the yurt has a, one of those, uh, you know, gas-powered uh, uh, heaters and everything like that. So we, we brought two propane tanks. Like, that'll certainly be fine. That'll get us through one night. I mean, come on. And so we go to bed, and we're all in our own individual beds. And about midnight, click, first propane tank runs out. We're like, okay, it's getting a little cold. We didn't know. It was 39 degrees at that point because we're way up there. We didn't realize that. And we don't need a ton of blankets and coats because it's summer, right? It's August. Who needs that? And so, like, okay, this isn't good. And we hook the other one up about 2 a.m., click. That one goes off. Now we have no heat. It is in the 30s. We are freezing and we are literally taking every piece of clothing that we have out of our bags and putting it on. I'm sleeping in seven sweatshirts and multiple pairs of sweatpants. I have my winter gloves and a stocking hat on. I'm on, a, on an army cot because that was the extra beds. Our daughter is coughing and sneezing on top of it, fighting her allergies. She's having bad dreams. She's sleeping right next to my wife, Tiffany. And my son, Caleb, is literally sleeping right on on top of me. This is the only way that we can stay warm is with our body heat. Like his face is right here and we are bundled up on top of each other. He's pushing on me, which makes me have to go to the bathroom. It's freezing and it's 2 a.m. in the morning and he goes, daddy, I need to go to the bathroom. And I said, you ready for a walk? And he said, I'll hold it. All right. So he just holds it and he's shaking and he's got to go to the bathroom. Finally, I'm getting to sleep. Maybe I'll get 45 minutes of sleep and literally 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. This is what we hear. That is not snoring. That is outside the yurt. And I'm like, okay, this is where it's going to end. Pastor family eaten by wild bears, right? Rescued from their own hypothermia, okay? Like, we got a condition. Our condition is that we are in a royal mess. 
And, I, and, and in the middle of that, I just felt helpless. Like there's nothing that we could do. Sometimes you are in a situation that is beyond you. That is beyond your own power and your own strength. And I tell you that to tell you this. We got a condition. Amen? The condition that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 2 is way beyond us. This is our condition. Number one, he just starts straight shooting. You were dead in your transgressions. It doesn't get any worse than that. You were literally spiritually dead, separated from God. Secondly, we're gratifying the cravings of our flesh. I don't know about you, but have you been running down some roads today that just lead to nowhere? Have you been searching and grasping and trying to get filled up on every craving and every feeling that you have in the world that says, do it your way, have it your way, try to do life your way? How's that working for you? Is it filling you up? Is it everything that you want? Or have you, you come to the place where thousands and thousands of people that have been a part of our network of churches have come in and they've asked this question, there's got to be more to life than this. I'm in a mess I've got a condition. Is there something more than that? Later on in verse 11, Paul says this, that we are strangers, that we are outsiders to God, that we're separated. That's what sin does. It separates us, and sin can't live in the presence of a holy and righteous God. I don't know about you. That is a condition. We have got ourselves in a mess. We're deserving punishment. We're lost in sin and death. Can you imagine in the middle of the night, that somebody walks into our yurt and says, hey guys, I forgot to tell you, here's kind of like a tourist guide of all the cool places to have a yurt in Colorado. You should check it out. Like, no, that's not what we, we don't need more information. We need an intervention in our condition, in our situation. And I think if we're not careful, some of us live our adult Christian lives like this and we go to Bible studies and small groups and we come to worship every single week and we say, I just need more information because that's what's going to save me. Some of us are looking for more and more information and what we need is an intervention, amen? We need a savior. We need somebody to rescue us out of whatever condition that we are in. We've got a condition. And all of us try to meet that in different ways. We try to save ourselves. We try to find the cure for our condition. To kind of show you what that looks like, I think a lot of times all of us just try to climb up the ladder and right from the maintenance closet. We have a, a brand new ladder. We just bought it yesterday, right? It's pretty new, right? If we're not careful, I think a lot of us live a version of Christianity on the ladder. It doesn't exist, by the way. It's not there. It's not a part of the gospel, but a lot of us live our entire Christian lives climbing the ladder in some way. We turn to three different things. Number one, it's the law. Say the law. Number two, it's legalism. Say legalism. And number three, it's the list. Say the list. We ebb and flow through these in different seasons of our lives, but essentially the attempt is this. We're somehow down here, and God's way up there. And we are disconnected. There's a space between us. And all of us try different things to try to close that gap, to stand right before God. Every single religion in the world somehow paints this picture that God's up there and we're down here. And somehow, if I just do enough, then I can earn the favor of that God. And we're going to find out what makes Christianity different than anything else. The first way that we try to climb that ladder is the law. Say the law. 
We talked about this last week. This was the Galatians' struggle. Paul's writing to this region of churches in Galatia, and they're struggling with this false teaching that if I just follow all these Old Testament commands, if I just go back to the way that I used to live, then it's Jesus plus my good works. 613 Old Testament laws, and if I can just do that, if I can just be holy enough, if I can just manage my sin. Some authors have called this, it's the gospel of sin management. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very appealing. I don't think that Jesus died and rose again and defeated sin, death, and the power of hell so I could manage my sin. There's so much more to it. There's a life that is worth living. If I can just obey the law to a T, if I can just be holy enough, then I can eradicate the distance between me and God by my own effort. Now hear me say this. This does not mean that we don't strive for holiness. It's about your motivation. Because here's the thing. The law has the ability to show us our condition. It does not have the ability to give us the cure. The law is like a mirror that you look into. I don't know about you, but the longer I read the Bible, as I'm reading the Bible, I realize the Bible's reading me. It's showing me who I am. It's showing me the gravity of my condition. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5. This is going back to last week. Paul says this. Let's read it nice and loud together. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Some of you are like, whoa, cut off from Christ? That seems a little harsh, Paul. Like, chill out, man. Think about it. If you can do it by yourself, what did Jesus die for? Why do we need the cross? There's a way of living Christianity that doesn't need the power of the cross. If being religious enough was the goal, there's no need for that, and Christ died for nothing. It's never going to happen through the law. Some of you are like, no, 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 that's not it. I, I know I can't attain that. I know I can't climb up the ladder in that way. And so what we do is we take all those expectations that we feel like we can't meet from God, and we turn them, and we unintentionally put them on other people. And we become what the world calls legalists. We turn to legalism. If you just follow these rules, which, by the way, are twisted, skewed versions of God's word, then we can attain that way. But here's the problem with legalism. Most of the time, it's bent on keeping other people out and people like me in. Legalism says, I'm here somehow, and you're down here. And I'm going to do anything I can and invent some rules and lists so that I'm here and you are there. You know, unless you worship in a certain way. Unless you pray in a certain way, unless you do Bible study the way that our group does Bible study, unless you read the Bible the way that you're supposed to read the Bible, unless you pray a certain way, unless you do church the way that we do it, you know, because our church is here and then other churches are down here, that's a slippery slope. Because the last time I checked, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no ladder there, but we slip into that very, very easy. It puts us here and other people here. Because here's the truth. You'll never be able to climb the ladder by pushing other people down. And yet we do that. If you don't do it in that exact way, you look around sometimes in worship and like there's people that are raising their hands. And if you didn't grow up with that, you're like, what is going on? Are you guys like airing it out or what's going on? Like that's kind of weird, right? And then the same thing, you look around at other people and they're like, and you're like, man, they're not very spiritual. You have no idea what's going on. Thank God that God does not look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. 
We got to be so careful with that. We're on the same team as every other Christ-centered, Bible-believing church in this city. We are not in competition. We're on the same team. Amen? There is no ladder when it comes to that. So we got to be really careful that all these different versions that are out there, that we don't pit one against another. We were just talking with our kids the other night, speaking of kind of back-to-school anxiety. We were talking through some of that the other night, and, and somehow the topic of bullies came up. Well, there's some kids maybe that act like bullies sometimes. And I just looked at my kids and I say, guys, you know what? I know kids that, that kind of come across as bullies seem so confident, popular. You know, they're all the cool ones that everybody wants to hang out with and be friends with. You know what the thing is about bullies is they act like that way to put others down. They seem so cool, like they have it all together. They're actually some of the most lonely, insecure people that you will ever meet. And when we get legalistic and we start pointing fingers of judgment and saying, if you don't do Christianity the way that I do and you don't do church the way that I do it and you don't do worship, what we do is we become schoolyard bullies in the kingdom of God. And it comes from a place of insecurity. When you know who you are, you have no interest in pushing other people down or pointing the finger of judgment. When you know who you are, it's often the people that hurt others the most <laughs> that need the most love, that need the most grace, whether they're kids or adults. Maybe for some of you, you've slipped into that and you don't even realize and you're trying to climb the ladder by pushing other people down. Some of you are like, no, 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 no John, it's not so much the law. It's, I'm, not, I'm not struggling with legalism. But the reality is you've taken all those expectations and you've gone, and we see so many people, myself included, walk in here every week, seemingly feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. And maybe some of you feel you can put it one way or another, it's the list, a.k.a. perfectionism. And if you're a recovering perfectionist like me, you're going to resonate with that. It's filling in this blank. I'll never be enough. I'll never be a good enough mom. I'll never be a good enough parent. I'll never be a good enough grandparent. I'll never be a good enough employee. I'll never be a good enough Christian. Whatever it is, that list that you have in your head. I'll never have enough. I'll never have enough popularity. I'll never have enough influence. Everybody wants to be an influencer. Everybody wants to have a platform. Everybody wants to have significance. I'll never have enough significance. And I just have this craving. It's another way that we try to exhaustively run up and down the ladder. Trying to, do you see me? Do you see me? And we're crying out for that attention. If you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you will never be more significant than you are right now in this moment. Amen? You can get off the ladder. But here's the reality. One of my favorite authors is Brene Brown. She puts it this way when we talk about this list that we put on ourselves. Just get this image in your head. When perfectionism is driving, shame is always riding shotgun. You know, the people that struggle with shame the most are the people that have the list. And fear is the annoying backseat driver. Perfectionism says if I look perfect, live perfect, work perfect, I can avoid or minimize criticism, blame, and ridicule. Perfectionism is a 20-ton shield that we're carrying around, hoping it will keep us from being hurt. There is a cure for perfectionism and it's not running up and down the ladder exhausting yourself. 
The cure for perfectionism today is a God who sees you. All of you. And loves you. More than you will ever know. The most mature, deep, spiritually in-depth thing that you could do is let God lavish his love upon you. Self-hatred is not humility. There's a lot of self-hatred running around disguised as Christian humility. But if God loves you more than anything else, he calls you to love yourself as well. That is never going to get you back connected to God by running up and down that ladder. All, the three ladders, what these all have in common, <laughs> is that they're an exhausting way to live and they have no room for Jesus. There's no room for a relationship that Christianity is based on. We need an intervention. Nobody knows that better than our friend Jean Valjean. I don't know, many of you have probably seen Les Mis. I'll have to um, admit to you, when I first saw this, what I now know is a musical, uh, Tiffany took me to it, and about 10 minutes in, I lean over to her and I go, Honey, why are they singing everything? Why can't they just say it? getting cultured a little bit here. It's, it's a musical, right? Well, I love that version. I love the version before that with Liam Neeson. And there is a scene where Jean Valjean here that's played by Neeson is a, he's a criminal. He's got a background. He's struggling. He's homeless. He's running from place to place. And he knocks on the door of the bishop. And he just begs him, can I have a place to stay? Can I have a, a hot meal and a bed? And showing incredible amount of grace, the bishop welcomes him in. Feeds him, gives him a bed, gives him a place to stay. But in the middle of the night, Valjean says, I'm going to take advantage of this grace. And I'm going to steal everything that the bishop has. The bishop catches him. He knocks the bishop out, almost kills him. Almost takes his entire life and everything that he has. Well, he gets caught by the authorities. And the scene that you're going to see is when Valjean comes face to face with his accuser. With the one that he's hurt, with the one that he's wronged. And he also comes face to face with the cure for our condition. Grace. Take a look. There's a reason. Yeah, you can clap for that. Absolutely. There's a reason that this film has stood the test of time and has been adapted into multiple languages across multiple decades. Because deep in our hearts, we know we're all Valjean. And at some point in our lives, we got to stand face to face before Jesus. And this morning, he grabs you by the shoulders and looks at you with all of your masks and your cape and your cloak and all the ways we try to cover up, and he flips it off. And he says, I see you. You're a new man. You're a new woman. And I have purchased you with my blood on the cross. It is my grace that sets you free. It is God's kindness that leads to repentance. Did you see the look in his eye? Why are you doing this? This is too good to be true. Karma says you get what you deserve. Grace is you get what you don't deserve. Amen? That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. And when, when that becomes ordinary to us, then we've lost our way. God's grace is bigger than your sin. It's bigger than your self-hatred. It's bigger than your guilt or your shame or whatever it is that has happened to you. What has the power to change our condition? 
It is God's amazing grace. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Oh, there's plenty more where that came from. God is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Only one who has actually gone to the grave and defeated death and sin can offer us a cure. Amen? And that is Jesus. That is who he is. When we couldn't get to him, he came to us. Every other religion in the world, research it, look it up, says God's up there and we're down here. And somehow by our own strength and our own effort, we got to climb that ladder and you're going to be climbing your entire life. Only one, Christianity, a relationship with the God that created you, offers you a God that came down to you. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Author John Ortberg puts it this way. I love this. He says this. The problem with spending your life climbing the ladder is that you're going to go right past Jesus because he's coming down. Imagine how odd that would be. Jesus is coming down. He looks over. He says, what are you doing? What are you working so hard? Well, I'm trying to please you, God. And he's like, I don't know where you're going, but I'm coming down to meet you and look you in the eyes. And tell you that you are enough. That my grace is enough for you. And you can get off the ladder. It's God's amazing grace that provides the cure. Here's the good news of the gospel. Not just Jesus came down the ladder. But because Jesus came down the ladder, there is no ladder. And Jesus puts that ladder down and the ladder becomes a bridge to connect you back in a relationship with God. There is no ladder. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel. Receive that today. It's not a lot of verses that I would say, like, plant that one in your heart, like, memorize it, John 3, 16, that. This is one of them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Let's read it nice and loud. Let's read it like you mean it. Let's read it and let people outside this building hear it nice and loud. Let's read it together. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Amen? That is the good news of God's grace. <laughs> Thank God that salvation isn't about how good we are. It's about how good Jesus has been on our behalf and continues to be and putting our faith in his goodness. Amen? I've been to far too many funerals where people go on and on and on about how amazing this person was and how nice they were and how great they were and all the good things that they did. Oh, and that's why they're in heaven today with Jesus. And I want to say, they probably are in heaven with Jesus, but that had nothing to do with any of that. And I get the ability to stand up and say, just to set the record straight, I'm not going to shame anybody, but it has nothing to do with any of that. Do, be a great person. Do a lot of good things. But we don't do those things in order to earn God's love. We do all those good things because we have been loved and because we want more of God. Amen? That's the difference. That's the gospel. And we don't want to miss that. Forgiveness is that there's nothing held against us anymore. Grace is that we have this beautiful exchange where we give Jesus, our sin and our death and our guilt and our shame and our self-hatred and all of that. And in exchange, we get grace. In exchange, we get eternal life. That is a beautiful exchange. That is, a, that, is, that is the best news that you will ever hear. A good way of understanding that is just the acronym of grace. 
G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. We get God's riches at Christ's expense. And that kind of leads to sometimes we get a misunderstanding about what grace is. I think we have some misunderstandings of what grace is. Number one is that grace is cheap. Well, God's God and he's got it for everybody and so it's, yeah, it's free. It's free. It costs Jesus everything. Cost Jesus everything. Oh, you know, grace is just an excuse. Now I can do whatever I want. Paul later says, says, shall we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Why would you run and put the shackles back on when you've already been set free? Amen? He says to you today, that's not who you are anymore. You are my son. You are my daughter. You don't have to go back to that anymore. Sometimes we think, well, grace just leads to idleness. You know, it's, it's all God's grace. So I don't have to do anything. I don't have to put in any effort course we put in effort, but it's not to earn God's love. It's because we're doing life with God, with Jesus. Life is worth living now. I love how Dallas Willard puts it. He says this, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Of course, Christian life takes effort. Check your heart. What's your motivation? Instead, what does the power of God's grace do? It takes down the ladder, and Jesus becomes this beautiful bridge for us to be reconciled to God. We have a brand new condition. Remember our condition? We were gratifying the flesh. Now you can live with purpose. Our previous condition, you were dead, and now you're alive. It doesn't get much better than that. We were deserving punishment, but now we're walking. We're living in grace. We are outsiders, and now we're family. Do you know what it is that actually bonds us together as a church? We talk about unity a lot. Like, it's a big deal. It's the core of the gospel. We weren't saved to do life alone. We were saved to become a brand new family. God's family. And what unites us together is not being educated on certain topics. What unites us together is not our positions. It's not our agendas on certain topics. It's not all those things. It's not the style of worship or the style of who we are as a church. What unites us is the fact that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. What unites us is grace. Is that every single one of us has been saved by grace. That's the glue that keeps us together as a church and will keep us together as a church. Because we have a God that while we were enemies of God, loved us in the middle of it. And so how can I hate my brother or sister? How can I hate and call them my enemy? God's grace changes us from outsiders to being a family. It changes everything. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people good come back to life. And that is amazing grace. That's the amazing grace we want you to come face to face with today, just as my friend Randy did. It's, uh, it's baptism day. We're right after this, literally, I'm getting in my car, putting on my swim trunks, and going to the river. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have our, our annual baptism at the river event today. And this was seven or eight years ago, I think seven years ago, my friend Randy. And uh, <laughs> Randy was a part of our church for a while. Let me just say this. You name it, Randy'd probably done it. Um, he'd had a pretty checkered past. And uh, he was pretty open about it. And Randy's the last person you would expect to come walking out to get baptized. But we had known a little bit of his story. And so I was, you know, out there and I 
walked out of the woods eating locusts and dressed in camel hair. No, I wasn't doing that. <laughs> Just trying to get my John the Baptist vibe going on today a little bit. I was standing out there in the water and everybody forms a line on the beach and kind of from halfway through the line, I'll never forget this, Randy just goes, like, hey, it's me. And I'm like, wow, I didn't expect you to be, hey, you know. And eventually Randy comes out and as I do, as as people come out to the water, I just have that moment where like the sun's peeking through the clouds and there is this beam of light shining down. And I always ask people, is there anything that you want to say to God in this moment? And most people say, no, I'm good. Let's, let's do it. Uh, I asked Randy, is there anything you want to say to God? He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> I got some things to say. And I said, well, man, the floor is yours. He, he's listening. Go for it. And, I, man, if you just knew his story, you talk about a condition. Randy's life was a mess, according to the world. But God's grace covers all of that now. And he looked up to heaven with tears rolling down. I'll never forget, he started this way. Hey, God, he goes, it's your boy, Randy. As if God didn't know, right? Hey, it's me, Randy. And uh, God, I'm so grateful to be here today. And I I know that I haven't always done what you wanted me to do. I know that I've messed up. I've made so many mistakes in my life. And I know the only reason that I'm here is because of your grace. And so, God, I can't believe that you would love somebody like me. And so I'm here, and I want a new start today. I'm just thankful that you love me, that you, that you died for me, that you rose again for me, and I want a fresh start today. God, just, I can't believe it. I'm so grateful. I can't believe that you would love somebody like me, and I want to live my life for you. And he looks down, he's got tears falling down his face, and I'm over here bawling, and he looks at me and he goes, did I do okay? (laughs) And I said, yes, Randy, that was perfect. You want to know why? Because it was here. It was real. It wasn't manufactured. It wasn't his parents' faith. It wasn't what somebody else at church told him. It was as real as real gets. That God is living inside, the Holy Spirit is so evident, real in his life. It was just, in that moment, it was like God was smiling down through that beam of sun, and God was just right there with him, and he looks at me and he goes, now I want you to hold me under a little extra, because I need it, okay? (laughs) If that's you, if you need to go under for a little extra, you just let us know. We can make that happen, but, and I take him down, and I bring him back up, and his arms just shoot up, like it is the biggest moment of his life. Because all of us have a day that we were born, and then all of us have a day that we understand why we were born. To live for Jesus, to be in a relationship with him, and his arms shot up. He's got water pouring off, and everybody's cheering. And I just could feel the applause of heaven, and the look on his face was that he had had a collision with grace. The same look that was on the man that was lame that Jesus encountered on the road that day. The same look of grace that was on the face of Jean Valjean. The same look that was on Randy's face. The look of experiencing God's grace. And it's not just for them. It can be for you today. God's grace meets you where you're at. And maybe today it's forgiving yourself. It's loving yourself. For some of you, it's experiencing God's grace so that you can forgive that person that's hurt you. I don't know what your situation is, but God's grace is big enough for that person that you can't stand. 
that person that hurt you, that person that did that thing to you. God's grace is big enough for you and it's big enough for them. And if God's stirring in your heart today, we're just going to be up here after the final song. If you want to come up during the final song or after the final song, we'll have some prayer partners up here that would love to pray for you. And we can let God have it and we can come just as we are before him. If God is stirring something in you today and you would like to be baptized or maybe affirm your baptism, come down to the river. Get in your car, hop on the bus, get there somehow and get to Raccoon River. And we would love to tell you all about God's grace and how you can experience that through baptism. And if you're like, I'm baptized, I'm good, come and cheer some people on. This is why we exist as a church. Come and cheer your brothers and sisters in Christ on. This is a big moment for them. So come on down and we would love to have you. You can experience that. Don't be shy. Don't be bashful. God's grace is for you. And we're going to close with the song we taught you a couple weeks ago and it's simply called Gratitude. And as we sing this song, I want it to be between you and God, not worrying about what's going on around you, worrying about your list for the rest of the day. Take a couple minutes and say, God, I am so grateful. And just take a moment, just like my friend Randy did, and put your hands in the air and express your gratitude to God for his amazing grace. Amen. Wherever you're at, let's stand together, let's worship, and let's sing. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.